Our text this evening is one you're familiar with, and it's quite short. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, Paul wrote, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And that is our text this evening. But, Father, unless you make it real to us, it still remains but words on a page. What we want is to be different because your Holy Spirit visits us. We pray for that and we permit it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good evening. I just love this time of year. I, you know, it, it, it's dark early. It's cold. Doesn't warm up much, and when it does warm up, it's just very temporary. And it's, it plays on my emotions. Gotta admit it. Wake up in the morning and I say, well, okay, just another 10 minutes. I'm gonna get out of bed. Yep, I'm gonna do it right now. I'm gonna, I'm gonna get out of bed. I'm gonna throw the covers back and I'm gonna get out of bed. Uh-huh, just, just in a minute now, I'm gonna roll over and I'm gonna throw the covers off and I'm gonna... Oh, I love this time of year. I love this time of year. All of the, all of the Merry Christmases are over. <laughs> See what I mean? She loves this kind of year too. Oh, we can get back to life as normal. We don't have to point at the Grinch unless we're looking in the mirror. Love this kind of time of year. Well, maybe I don't. But I'll tell you something about it. It, uh, it speaks to my spirituality, this time of year does. So I look at ways to try to cheer myself up a little bit. I, um, you get things on the internet. Oh, I, I know you do. If you don't, you tell me and I'll pass them on to you. <laughs> In fact, it's, I'll tell the people who send them to me to stop sending them to me and send them to you instead. But every once in a while, some good ones come by here. Um, these are called Christian one-liners. Got, I got two pages of these, but this is only a, only a few of them, the better ones. Uh, and they, and they, they don't necessarily go together, except that we recognize ourselves in them, you know. It's kind of like, like looking in the mirror when you hear things like this. Don't let your worries get the best of you, this person writes. Don't let your worries get the best of you. Remember, Moses started out as a basket case. <laughs> Some people are kind, polite, and sweet-spirited until you try to sit in their pews. <laughs> now, this one, this one is not so much a ha-ha as it's an uh-huh. Many folks want to serve God but only as advisors. <laughs> read, uh, read the last verses of uh, Romans chapter 11 on that one. Um, 
Here's a good one. It's easier to preach ten sermons than to live one. And I don't know about that one. <laughs> the good Lord didn't create anything without a purpose, but mosquitoes come awfully close. <laughs> People are funny. They want the front of the bus, the middle of the road, and the back of the church. Here's one I want you to remember. Opportunity may knock once, but temptation bangs on your front door forever. This is the last one. I don't know why some people change churches. What difference does it make which one you stay home from? <laughs> yeah? Uh, I'm told about a fellow who went to a Nazarene church and he, uh, he was out fishing on a boat out in the sea one day and he got stranded and lost and all by himself and washed up on shore of a tiny island and it was three years before they came and found him. The Coast Guard finally saw him waving on the shore and they came, uh, they came up and were getting, you know, packing up your stuff to take it off the, off the, off the island and uh, they said to this Nazarene fellow, they, they said, uh, uh, where's the other people? They said, well, I'm the only one here. And they said, well, what's all these buildings? What do you mean, what's all these buildings? What's all these buildings? He said, well, that building is where I live. That building is where I go to church. And they said, well, what's that third building? He said, oh, that's where I used to go to church. <laughs> so, some of you didn't laugh. I love this kind of thing. I really do. I love this time of year. Because we get a chance to look in the mirror in ways this time of year that we don't otherwise. My first, first year in pastoral ministries, my wife and I saved up enough money for me to buy a new suit. Now, uh, buying a new suit was an event at our house. We didn't often go to those kind of stores that, that carry men's suits. You know, pennies. Uh, good one. But we moved up and went to pennies and bought me a suit. And they did all, you know, how, how they do that. You try on the jacket and you try on the pants. And the pants are always this long, longer than your ankle. So you stand up on the little thing and the guy comes out with a little piece of white chalk and he makes the marks here and there. And, and then he says, well, you c come back in a week and we'll have it done. Now, I've never figured that out. It takes him about 20 minutes to do the work. Why does it take a week? For, but that's, that's, that, that's part of the mystique of buying a new suit. <laughs> so um, our week was up, and so we came back, and I, I tried it on. They handed it out to me, and I went in the dressing room and tried it on. And I, I came out, and I said, Pam, there's something wrong with these pants. And she looked at him and she said, "Wow, they're all messed up." I looked in the mirror and the uh, the seam that starts here ended up over here by the time I got to my ankle, both sides. And so I said to the salesman, "I said something's wrong with these pants." And my wife emphasized it. I, I'm the guy who gets to make the intelligent dignified statements, and then she emphasizes everything. 
So he said, well, let me get the, let me get the, uh, the tailor. So the tailor came out, and he spoke a brand of English that was very hard for me to, I didn't understand it. But my wife with gestures and pointing, she, she made him understand that there was something wrong with it. And uh, he looked at it and was, uh, as if he couldn't figure out what the deal was. And she said, she said, they're crooked. And he looked at it and he looked at it and then he looked at her and pointed at me and said, he's crooked. <laughs> so they discussed it. She in English and he in some other language. And uh, I went over to the mirror. Maybe I am crooked. <laughs> had to check it out. By then they had come to some understanding and he said, take those pants off and he grabbed and started unbuttoning them. Now, you understand, we're out in the middle of everything. So I took his hands off me and went back in and, uh, and took the pants off, handed them out to him. and. Um, he took hold of them, reached in and pulled the leg out completely and the darts, I think, is that what they're called, darts? The darts had been misaligned completely so that the darts that should have gone together like this had gone together like this instead. And the, the pant leg spiraled and he said, let me fix it. And 10 minutes later it was fixed just real well. I, I would still be wearing those, those uh, slacks except that uh, I hadn't fully grown up but when I first bought that, and so it's not the right size now. But, uh, but, but, but I would submit to you that we all, we all need a mirror in our lives. We all do. The book of Stelting says that the best thing to do with the faults you see in others is to see, use them as a mirror to see if they are your own faults instead. I, I have this sneaking feeling that the reason that we are, we are so sensitive about faults we see in others is the fact that there really are faults as well. We know them all too, all too well. So we, we need that mirror. God's Word is a wonderful mirror. And this time of year, excuse me, I couldn't help that. This time of year, Doctor, you ought to hire a more dignified academic dean. You really should. Uh, this time of year, we need a mirror to look in. In fact, I think that Paul was looking into a historical mirror when he said, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. I think, I think he was able to look in that mirror and at himself, and he said, it's true. It's true where I stand now on the edge of going home to be with the Father. From here, I can look in that mirror and I can see that in fact, it's true. It's true. Uh, we have changed his statements into a, into a pledge, if you will. I will finish the race. I will keep the faith. Or, or maybe it's more of an admonition. You, you, finish the race. Keep the faith. Whatever. We stand in a different sort of mirror than Paul did at that time. We stand at the mirror to see if there is in us the kind of things that will make it true today so that we can have assurance 
that it will be also true when we look into the historical mirror at the end of our lives. Uh, in a couple of weeks, the two NFL football teams are going to go into their locker rooms on a Sunday afternoon. And they're going to put on all this stuff. And then they're going to sit around in a circle and they're going to look at each other. They're going to listen to the coach and then someone's going to stand up and he's going to say something like this. It's going to happen two different times, in, at the same time, two different locker rooms. Oh, we're mean. We're the best. We're going to go out there and we're going to, we're going to clean those guys' plow. And when we walk back in this locker room, we're going to be real champions. And everybody will be cheering and high-fiving. And <laughs> but we know, as sure as anything, we know right now that for at least one of those teams, it ain't so. I, I, I'm not the prophet or the son of prophet, but what I know is that one of them is going to be the winner and the other is going to be the loser. Guaranteed. And I submit to you that Paul, when he said what he said, and we, when we say what we read on that screen, we weren't just trying to psych ourselves up. I hope. I hope. It's so why we need the mirror. We need to listen to ourselves. We sing the songs. We repeat it every week. I'm going to finish the race. I want to keep the faith. Yeah, I want to win. I want to make it. And if we are no better than an NFL football team that is trying to beat the odds more than they're trying to beat the other team, if that's all we have, then we need to check ourselves out against that mirror. I would submit to you on the other hand that there are some things that we can see in the life of Paul. We can see in the lives of other heroes of the faith that we can check and make true in our lives so that years from now we can say with Paul, I, I did fight the good fight. I have finished the course. I, I have kept the faith. Now, I'm not talking about some deterministic philosophy so that no matter what you do, it's going to turn out okay or it's going to turn out bad. I'm not talking about that. I'm saying that God in his word has instructed us so that we can have assurance that it's going to be true. True yesterday, true today, true tomorrow, true at the end, and true when we step across Jordan and meet him in heaven. Now, that's the warm-up. Let me give you four words, and this is going to be a quick, pretty quick sermon if I can just get through this part. Four words, all four words have a V in them. Makes it handy. It's a preacher's tactic. You've never, you've never seen this before. I know I'm telling you something you've never known. Four words have a, have a V in them. The first three words begin with V, and then, the, then the, the fourth word has a V in the middle of it. But here it goes. First of all, I want you to, to understand that Paul had a vision. Now, a, a vision is being able to see the end from the beginning. It doesn't mean that it's, that it's a, a predetermined end. 
it means that you look at it and said, this is the way it's going to be. Here's where I'm going. Philosophers use the word end to mean uh, the intended purpose for the actions we take. It's the end. There are appropriate ends and there are not appropriate ends, but that's, that's another philosophical discussion. I'm telling you that, that Paul, very early in his, in his Christian life, began to visualize what his life should be like every day, every week, month, year, until the end. And he said, that, that end is where I'm going. That's where I'm going. I'm visualizing the end. Philippians chapter 3 verse 10, Paul said, I want to know Christ. He said it firmly. He said it rock solid. He wasn't saying it to hype himself up or to hype anybody else up. It wasn't just a slogan. It wasn't something that he caught as a nice phrase in some praise chorus or hymn or anthem or anything else. But it flowed from the depths of his heart. He said, that is my end. I want to know Christ. In Acts chapter 26, when Paul was telling the story of his, of his own uh, conversion, he looked at King Agrippa and said, And King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. He said, I, I had this vision. I knew where it was leading me. I heard the voice of God, and that became my purpose in life. He had the vision. The second word is volition. Volition. I... About every sermon I preach, I have a, I have a segment on, on volition. I, I just think it's extremely important, and I'm going to keep preaching this way until I finally catch on, or until someone finally catches on, because volition is, Volition talks about the human capacity to use one's will to make firm choices. Volition. You see, not only did Paul have a vision, but he said, that vision will be what I follow. He made up his mind. He made a choice. And he wasn't going to let someone deter him. Over and over again, I hear people who say, oh, this is what God wants me to do. And then a week later, they've got something else that God wants them to do. Not only do they need to have a, a clearer vision, but they need to use their volition, their will, to lock in on it and stick with it. Now, now one's will can be used with timid, tenuous little statements like, well, I, I hope it's so. Or one's will can be used that's rock solid, that's the nearest thing to sanctified sweetness, stubbornness that you know anything about. They know where God wants them to go and they've latched onto it and they're not going to let anyone else turn them aside. Can't read much in the New Testament about Paul. You can't hear much of what he says without catching on to the fact that he had his mind made up. And it went deeper than just his mind. He knew where he was going. He wasn't going to let anyone else deter him. He didn't, excuse me on this for those of you who teach leadership, he didn't need a leader because he already knew what God wanted him to do. And he was a good leader because he was going to go that way whether anyone followed or not. And those are the kind of people that 
other people follow. Paul used his volition. So he had vision, and he had volition, and then he also had values. Values are those, are those things that we have set as priorities in our lives that help guide us when we make decisions. Everybody has values. We got them by the bucket load. We inherited some of them just by living with our folks. I don't, I, I'm not talking about uh, biological inheritance. I'm just talking about the way we've been trained, kind of situations in which we grew up. How many of you, if you're going to buy a new pickup, would rather buy a GMC than a Ford? Everyone else would rather buy a Ford? Toyota. Yeah, something. Yeah, see, there you go. How many of you would rather have a Whopper or a Big Mac? And, and I know what you're going to say. You're going to say, those are not healthy, and I'm not going to eat either of them. I want tofu. Heard, heard a fellow once say, he said, I didn't rise to the top of the food chain so that I could be a vegetarian. <laughs> I think I understand that. Uh, I grew up on a dairy farm in, in, in Kansas, and uh, uh, eating beef was a religious habit where, where I grew up. Might not be good for me, but, uh, but you know, for a guy that's 26 years old, I don't look too bad, do I? Okay. We, we all have values. They're, they're usually quiet assumptions on the inside of us that help guide us in making decisions. Christians have values. The great thing about being human is the fact that we can choose our choices. I think I want to be a philosopher. <laughs> we, we, we can choose our choices. We can decide up front what we want to serve. We're not just driven by instinct or by the crowd, unless we choose that that's the way we want. My friend, when you choose Christ, you choose a significant set of values. And sometimes those values do battle with other values that you have been taught. Somewhere or other in the whole process, you've got to decide which set of values you're going to follow. Opportunity may knock once, but temptation bangs on your front door forever. There is always the opportunity to be disobedient. And there's the opportunity to be obedient. And the values that you choose for your life, those values will guide you. The fourth word draws it all together, and that's love. Because vision and volition and values can be hard and cold as a January morning in Colorado. Dark as the night that seems to go on and on and on and... But if you decide who you love most, if you decide who you love most 
and it's the Lord Jesus Christ, the vision finally begins to glow and live. And it brings joy and peace. Your volition stops being sanctified, unsanctified stubbornness and becomes the kind of Christian sweet power in your life to make sure that you're going to stick to the course that God's called you to. And love is the highest value. It is the highest value. Because the Christian life, Christ-likeness, or entire sanctification is not so much what you do, it's who do you love. You hear me? Who do you love? There, there are things that I have the natural power to do. But because I love Jesus, there's not a chance in the world I'm going to do them. There are times to give up. And this is a good given up season. But if you love Jesus, love him with all your heart. not going to give up. You're not going to stop. You're not going to change your mind. Because you're going to stand looking in that mirror and said, for Paul it was true that he stuck it out. He stuck it out. And he proved by his obedience how much he loved our wondrous Lord. So love then is the highest. Read 1 Corinthians chapter 13. You'll see it right there. But it's also the best in a practical sense. Because when you love him most, and when you look into the mirror, and you see less and less of yourself and more and more of him, then you've acquired the kind of habits, the kind of values, the kind of vision, the kind of willfulness that will make it true every dark night and into the springtime. And that's what I'm looking forward to. Stand and pray with me, if you would, please. We have a song. Let's, let's pray together, would you? Father, um, we want to prove that the words we say are not just slogans that work or not. Uh, those words we speak and sing are not just some ritual that we hope will make us better. But those words are affirmations of what is true to the very depth of our beings. Because we want you to be glorified. Father, we're not, we're not claiming that we have abilities that are so great that, that we can do it on our own. But we know that your Holy Spirit at work in us by our permission can make that difference. And so, Lord, victory is in our sight. A life of service that brings more pleasure than earthly goods is in our sight.
an obedience that flows out of a love too deep for words is in our sight. And as we look into the mirror, would you help us to see there the promise that you have made us to never leave us nor forsake us. So that when we walk through the valley, we walk with your presence in our midst. And we walk with the assurance that not one step is for us, but it is for you. And that is our greatest pleasure. Now, Lord, help us to express our love for you boldly. In a world that screeches its slogans at us, who would defile the very air with its, its, uh, its lack of sacred understanding, to that world, would you help us lovingly, graciously, and yet boldly say, it's Jesus I love. It's his name I honor. It's his way that leads me. And thank you, Father, that you are with us now. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You are dismissed.